As we've been thinking about Easter, we've been on the journey to the cross, and we've been looking at the book of Mark. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record the account of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. But we've been looking specifically at the book of Mark, and in a moment's time, we're going to read from the book of Mark. And if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn to Mark chapter number 16. We'll be there in just a few moments' time. The underlying theme of today's message is this. Jesus has made a change in your life. So there's a question we ask ourselves. What change has Jesus made in my life? And when we meet Jesus, it demands a response and it demands a positive change in our life. The challenge of this little mini-series through Easter is to invite God and really allow Him to examine our hearts to examine our motivations and why we're here, why we do what we do. And you could be a variety of places. And please don't raise your hand if you don't want to be here today. Then you're here because your husband or wife or your parents encouraged you greatly to be here. Wonderful. I'm glad you're here. And we will treat you just as nicely as if you wanted to be here. You may be here like, I've gone a long way and I can't wait to be here in church because I want to celebrate these things. And in the journey of the cross, we begin to allow God to examine our hearts and examine our lives. And we begin to discover all along the way, Jesus has been saying yes. Last Sunday, we remembered what's known as Palm Sunday, when Jesus triumphantly entered into Jerusalem. And he was riding on the colt of a donkey, and people were crying out, Hosanna. We learn that Jesus said yes to Hosanna. Jesus said yes to saving us by dying on the cross. And then on Friday, we discovered that Jesus said yes to dying on the cross, to taking the sins of the world upon himself. For the very first time in all of eternity, God turned his back on his son and Jesus took the punishment for our sin and paid the price for our sins, dying and being buried in the grave. And here we have the Sunday morning, the resurrection Sunday morning. And our principle for today is this. Jesus said yes to forgiveness. He didn't just die for a good cause and rise from the dead and go, okay, go back to where you were. Continue as if nothing happened. He says, I'm going to say yes to your forgiveness and my forgiveness. And we're going to read from the book of Mark, chapter number 16, which is the account of Jesus' resurrection and the announcement of his resurrection. And then we're going to make some application about a particular man that you're going to read in the very last line in verse number 7. I need to give you a little bit of background before we get there. You imagine... The disciples have just seen their Savior die on a cross. And what's going through our minds is fear, trepidation. Are they going to be next? And they are hiding in the upper room, doors locked, hiding from fear of the guards coming and taking them away too. And then these ladies wake up on the Sunday morning to after the Passover time and after the Sabbath. Now they're preparing the body of Jesus because their Savior is gone. And you imagine the slow, sad walk toward this grave. And these ladies are doing the honorable thing of preparing the body. But this is a sad, sad morning. And for a few moments. 
When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man on the right side dressed in a white robe. Now, the next line is kind of the understatement of all understatements. You imagine walking in, and you've probably been crying, and you're with other ladies, so you're crying even more. And, and I, I don't know, that's what ladies do, I don't know. And they're walking into this grave, and they have carried these spices, and they're going to do something that they're not really looking forward to at all. And they walk around the corner, and then there's some guy sitting there on the side, and he's wearing a bright white robe. And the next thing he says to them, he says, and they were alarmed. <laughs> like, understatement. I guarantee there were some squeals and some, ah! and screams at that time. And it continues on in verse number six. And he said to them, so this angel says to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. And here's something beautiful. Who was crucified. He really was crucified. He has risen. And he is not here any longer. And he then shows in the place. It says, see the place where they laid him. And verse number seven gives them an action step at the end. He says, but go and tell his disciples. But then he says, and Peter. Peter was one of the disciples. Now we understand Judas had already gone, betrayed Jesus. He was, he's off the scene now. And now there's 11 disciples left. And this angel from God, speaking the words of God, says, go tell his disciples that he was crucified, he is risen, and he's not here any longer. And go tell them and Peter. This morning, we're going to walk through and discover why Peter was especially pointed out here. Other passages of the Bible tell of the ladies rushing back to the upper room, probably waking up these men and telling them, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's gone from the grave. Peter and John run to the tomb and they run inside and it says when they ran inside and saw the empty tomb they believed that he was not there all along you have this man peter who in the 72 hours before had done some things that really he was embarrassed of and he's carrying around this burden and I think you and I, if not all four points that I have this morning, at least one or two, we can relate to ourselves. And I can think that you and I can see ourselves in the life of Peter. So we're going to walk through and explain that and explain why Peter was especially pointed out. And then from that, we're going to answer the question, Jesus changed my life. And as we consider that Jesus changed my life, 
How has he changed our life? And what is he changing our life from? And what is he changing our life to? First of all, Peter had a problem. He was proud when he should have been humble. Leading up to the cross, the night before Jesus was to be arrested and ultimately tried and sent to the cross, they were in the upper room. They were going through the Passover meal together. It's a very solemn, long meal. And as they're going through this meal, Jesus is teaching his disciples. The book of John teaches that he's telling them, I'm going to be leaving you, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. It's going to come and be your comforter. He's going to reveal all things to you. And the disciples are hearing all this. But to be honest with you, they're not fully understanding. They're thinking, well, you're going to go and you'll be back in five minutes. Like, where are you going to go? They didn't understand what was going to happen next. They didn't understand the cross was coming. And then Jesus says to them in Mark chapter number 14, if you have your Bibles, you can go back a couple chapters in Mark 14. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. He's basically saying, you're all going to reject me. Now, if you've ever been with a group of men, yeah, I picked on ladies earlier and I'll pick on men. Have you ever been with a group of men? There's some false bravado that, that comes out. And you look at the others and you've been accused that you're all going to deny Jesus. You're all going to fall away. Well, I'm not going to fall away. Well, if you're not going to fall away, I'm going to fall away less than you. Well, if you're going to do that, I'm going to fall away even less. And it goes on and it says in verse number 29, And Peter said to him, this is talking to Jesus, Even though they, you imagine him pointing out and looking at a particular disciple, will all fall away. I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, in other words, you're going to fall away first, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, then Peter goes and like doubles down and says, no, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And you know what? The next line says, and they all said the same. Well, if you're going to do that, so am I. Well, I, I wouldn't, I'd die for you as well. And all these men are remembering this. You imagine them in the upper room hiding with doors locked because they're afraid they're going to go and be crucified as well. They're going to be persecuted as well. And they're thinking to themselves, oh, Jesus told me I was going to deny him and I did it. They were proud, and Peter was proud when he should have been humble. He said, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. It's amazing the, the peer pressure. And it's not just men. And we often look at peer pressure and think that's just a teenage thing. And I, I can't wait till I'm not a teenager anymore that I won't experience peer pressure. And then you become an adult and you go, well, am I the exception? Am I the only one feeling peer pressure as an adult? And as life goes on, we begin to recognize that oftentimes in life, we live lives of pride when we really need to be living lives of humility before God. And when we ask, invite God to examine our hearts and our life, we discover that we actually we've been trying to do things on our, ourselves. We've been trying to say, God, even though everyone else is looking really horrible, I'm pretty good. And we naturally look and we try to find someone worse than you. If you were in prison for murder, you would find someone that had murdered two people and say, at least I'm not as bad as that person. 
And that's what we naturally do, but we really should be living lives of humility. If I was to say this statement, okay, I'm testing you now. I am the strongest, fastest, smartest person in this room. I can almost guarantee all of you said, no, you're not. Didn't you? You almost guarantee that we naturally go and begin to compare ourselves. And the first thought we have is, no, you're not. Well, actually, I'm stronger than them. And that's a total natural response. But you know, what? we as people, we're not called to live in the natural. We're called to live in the supernatural that we cannot do in our own strength and our own power. So first of all, Peter was experiencing pride or he was proud and when he should have been humble. Then it goes on. Jesus and his disciples leave the upper room. And as they're leaving the upper room after the Passover, they're heading toward the Garden of Gethsemane. And heading towards the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus understands what's going to happen in just a few hours' time. He understands he's going to be arrested. He's going to be tried. He's going to head to the cross. So he spends some time in prayer. He sends some of the disciples down into a cave to sleep. And he takes three disciples with him up into the Garden of Gethsemane and begins to pray. And he challenges them to pray with him. But instead of praying with them, they're sleeping and not praying. And it's exactly where we find Peter in Mark chapter 14, verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Can you not watch with me one hour? That happened once. And then Jesus came back after his time of prayer. And he came back and he found his disciples sleeping again. And he woke them up a second time. And then a third time, he finally says, well, it's too late now. The guards are on their way to arrest me now. Could you not pray with me for one hour? It's so easy to fall asleep when you don't realize what's taking place around you. When we don't realize the, what's actually happening in the world around us, we just happily live our lives. And we naturally think, and we say, I say we because I suffer from this also. In fact, I find falling asleep while praying quite easy. I say, God, I'm going to pray. <laughs> we don't recognize what Jesus was rec recognizing. He recognized that he was about to take the sins of you and me and the world upon himself. This was a serious moment. I guarantee after the arrest, None of the disciples slept that night. They were all wide awake after that time. They were missing the moment. They were sleeping when they should have been praying. And when we allow God to examine our hearts, oftentimes we become aware of the circumstances around us. We become aware of the needs of other people around us and how we can be a help and an encouragement, a blessing. We also become aware of our own inabilities. So we're not sleeping now we are praying. And then from there we move on. We move on from we see that Peter is self-reliant and not dependent. While they are sleeping, Jesus rouses them for a third time and he says, wake up. The guards, the high priests are coming to arrest me. That's when Judas comes and he kisses Jesus on the cheek 
and to point him out and show him that he is Jesus. And so they arrest him. And then Peter does something that is, if you do a, a life study of Peter, is just so Peter. But you know what? You and I, we can somewhat do the same. We can be self-reliant and not dependent. It says in Mark 14, in verse number 43, And immediately, while he was speaking, that's when Jesus was speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, with a, cr a crowd with them, with swords and clubs. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those, and one of those is Peter, who stood by, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. It's, it's not funny at all. It's a serious thing. But you imagine. Now, I don't know if Peter missed. If he was going for his neck and he ended up hitting his ear. Or maybe he was just frailing around and the guy walked into it. We don't know. But what we do know is Peter was basically saying, don't worry, Jesus. I've got this. Stand back. Don't worry. I've already said I'm not going to deny you. Everyone else is going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. I've had a good sleep. I have plenty of energy. Let's go. And it records what takes place in the book of Matthew, chapter 26. It says, Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take the sword will perish by the sword. And it, here's a little bit of chastisement from Jesus. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? Do you think I'm not in control here with what Jesus is saying? Essentially what Peter is doing, he's saying, I've got this. I can handle this situation on my own. And he utterly failed. The passage continues on and other passages actually explains the, the, the particular servant and, and names him. And his, uh, his name is Malchus. And the book of Luke tells us that Jesus took and touched the man and healed the man's ear. And then they bind him and, and take him away. And you imagine all that's going through Peter's mind right now. He's saying, I can do this myself. A number of years ago, uh, when I left Australia, I went to the U.S. to go to college. During the summers, I would work with my uncle who worked and built houses. My uncle employed not just me, but my cousins as well. And my older cousin, which is several years older than I am, um, was an experienced carpenter. And when working with my younger cousins, they would mess around all the time and they would make mistakes. But any time my older cousin Scott was on the job site, it's amazing. They straightened up and they were really serious. And they'd warn me, watch out for Scott. And I had never experienced his temper and his short fuse until one day, I think it was when my cousin messed up, it wasn't me, messed up. My cousin comes storming over there. They had been mocking him behind his back for the weeks earlier, saying, I'll do it myself. And you know what? That's exactly what Scott did. He took his stuff and he ripped off what we had done and he put it on and he was like, I'll do it myself. Boom, boom, boom. And I never forgot that because that's exactly what human nature is. We see something going wrong. We go, I'll take care of this myself. You imagine just for a moment, Peter had followed after Jesus for three and a half years. He had seen Jesus perform miracles, heal people, 
feed thousands of people. He had sat at the feet of Jesus and hearing all of his teachings. And he had the very time when it was time for him to truly trust in Jesus. Peter naturally steps forward and goes, don't worry, Jesus, I've got this. That's the time when he should have been Jesus after you. You show me which way to go. I'll be dependent upon you. I'm no longer going to be self-reliant. And when we allow God to examine our hearts and we allow him to work and look into our hearts, we discover that when we're self-reliant, have you noticed when we do it myself, that's not really working for society very well. It's not working in our individual lives. It may work you know, four times, but it's not going to work every time. We need to be dependent and dependent upon other people. If you're dependent upon me, I'll warn you, I'm going to disappoint you. If you're dependent upon our church, our church will mess up in some way and it will disappoint you. But when we are dependent upon God, he sees the beginning from the end and he knows everything in the middle and he created you with a plan and with a purpose and we can be dependent upon him. So we see in those points, we can be Proud and not humble, sleeping and not praying, self-reliant and not dependent. And finally is denying, not proclaiming. Jesus was arrested and taken through the valley up into the high priest's palace, a man named Caiaphas. And he's being tried at that time. And outside there's a courtyard. And a few weeks ago, in fact about five weeks ago now, I was in that very courtyard. A church sent me to Israel, and I was standing in that courtyard, and everything touristy or anything significant in Israel, there's people everywhere. But at that particular place, I caught a little moment, and it was literally only like two minutes when no one was in that courtyard. And there's a statue there of Peter denying in front of a, a young maiden denying Jesus. But I was standing in this courtyard thinking the significance of this place and the tears that were wept in this very place just outside of this palace where Jesus was beyond the walls was Peter standing there. And it says in Mark chapter 14, verse 71, it says, but he began to invoke a curse on himself. You see, Peter was told he was going to deny Jesus three times. And he denies it once, he denies it a second time, and a third time he says he begins to invoke a curse on himself. Basically, he's using really bad language to try to fit in. He goes, no, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Look at me. I'm just like everybody else. And to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Lie. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. He begins to remember the last words his Savior said to him. You're going to deny me? He said to him, wake up. And he said, put away your sword. Stop hurting people. Basically, stop cutting people's ears off. And now he's weeping, remembering. And he saw Jesus a couple of days earlier dying on a cross. And he's denying his Savior. He remembers that and the guilt associated with that. 
And he should have been out proclaiming, yes, I know Jesus. Yes, he's the Savior of the world. Yes, I know he's going to rise. Because Jesus told them several times he was going to rise from the dead. The last words that he heard. But this goes back to the book of Mark, chapter 16, and in verse number 7. When the angel tells those ladies, go tell his disciples and also Peter. You see, Peter needed to be restored. Peter needed to receive the forgiveness of God. If you read through other passages, it gives different accounts and, and put, put it all together. If I can encourage you, if you read through the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but read them as, as a thing called the Harmony of the Gospels, where it puts it all in order. And you read through all four books, but it tells the crucifixion and the resurrection account in one long order. And it just fits all together. And what we discover is in John chapter number 21, Jesus comes and he calls Peter to the side and he begins to talk with Peter. And he, through that conversation, restores Peter. And he goes from being a self-reliant person to being a, a denying person, a self-reliant person, a sleeping person, a proud person, to being a person when Jesus simply says, Follow me. Read Mark chapter number 16, verses 14 through 20. It says, After he appeared to the eleven, themselves as they were reclining at table, these men are hiding. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And verse 20, it says, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. Jesus restores Peter and the other disciples and he brings them back into ministry and he says, rather than just being proud and sleeping and self-reliant and denying, I want you simply to follow me. And as he's speaking with Peter, he has this intimate conversation with Peter and is recorded in John 21. And he simply summarizes it with, I know what you've done. I know who you are. Now follow me. You may find yourself as a person that's naturally humble and praying and dependent and proclaiming the truth. But ultimately it comes down to follow me. So when we finish our own lives and we look at our own personal lives we ask the question how has christ changed your life peter never was the same again he was restored to ministry if you continue reading through the new testament he preached and thousands of people's lives were changed by the gospel of jesus christ and ultimately history tells us the bible doesn't record this but history tells us that he was arrested in rome and charged by the emperor nero in a.d 64 and during that time is when rome was burned and they blamed all the christians and peter was one of the main christians and the, the pastor of the church at that time and they ultimately crucified Peter and history tells us that Peter refused to be crucified like his savior Jesus Christ because he was not worthy so I'm not sure if it was Peter's idea or the Romans idea but they actually crucified him upside down that changed Peter's life 
He was no longer a person that was living in pride and sleeping and self-reliant and denying. He was now humble. He was a now a man of prayer. He was now totally dependent upon Christ. And he was now proclaiming the good news. So let me ask you that question one more time. Has Jesus changed your life? So begin to think, what has he saved you? What has he changed you from? And what will he change you to? As you go out today, you, we have a natural tendency to forget and we become focused upon other things. So for just a few moments, will you allow yourself to be focused? And maybe you're yet to place your trust upon Christ as your Savior. You're still living on the, the old line. You understand where you are, but you don't have to be there any longer. The simple words of Jesus, he says, follow me. Those disciples were never the same again, and you don't have to be the same either. You simply have to place your trust upon Jesus Christ as your Savior. You, we understand we're all sinners. We understand that we've all been separated from God and, and his, his plan for our lives because of our natural sin. And with that, we have the privilege and the honor of believing that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Jesus Christ really is God. He really did die on the cross. He really did rise from the dead. And as a result of that, we place our trust upon Christ as our Savior, turning away from our sin and turning towards Christ. And we receive a wonderful free gift of salvation. We don't earn it. We don't try to pay for it. We simply accept that gift, that wonderful free gift of salvation. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And there's no greater message on Easter than the message of salvation. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the cross, but also thank you for the empty tomb. And as we reflect upon our own lives, Lord, I pray that we will no longer live lives where we are self-dependent and self-reliant and we are focused in, upon ourselves in pride, but we will live lives of humility before you, allowing you to work in our hearts and our lives. Lord, I thank you for saving us and for changing us. And as we go out, Lord, I pray that we won't leave without acknowledging how you worked in our hearts and our lives. And in Jesus' name, amen.